Welcome to a very special presentation here on Filmstrip Podcast, heading into Thanksgiving 2021. I wanted to put out a special episode here as we're um, all kind of traveling for holidays and getting things squared away. And we've got some other stuff uh, set up for December that wasn't quite ready to release just yet because it's very uh, specific to that time of year. Uh, I decided it's a good time to do something I'd intended to do for a while anyway. Um, you're going to hear a discussion of Christopher Nolan's Tenet that was originally part of the Amateur Artours podcast. My good friend Mike and I recorded this for Amateur Artours back in January, February of 2021. Uh, and it works very much like a film strip episode, though there's a few things that are different, but it's such a good discussion. And again, I had always intended to have this somewhere on the film strip feed, and this seemed like a great time to get it out to you all. Just to give you a heads up, though, when we recorded it, uh, we were very much still living and dealing with the pandemic in a way that we're, we're not right now. And I don't mean that it's over. What I mean by that is that um, we've made a lot of strides there. You know, we've got vaccinations available now. And when this was done, those were just, just coming onto the uh, market. And so, yeah, um, it, it's, it's a little bit, uh, I guess you would say dated around that concept because we do talk about it for a few minutes there at the beginning. It informed the way that we both saw the film uh, and it, obviously is part of Tenet's story and how it was released. So other than that, though, uh, you're in for a great discussion here, and it's a bit of a longer episode, but a great thing to do because I know a lot of you are traveling, and we hope you are safe and enjoying time with family or friends, however you celebrate Thanksgiving. Um, we are certainly appreciative that you've decided to celebrate part of it with us here at Filmstrip. So without further ado, we're going to jump right into the discussion. Um, done a little bit of edits here and there, but for the most part, the discussion remains intact. It will not end the same way that it always does with me giving the little preamble. So I'll go ahead and say now, if you're not already following us at Filmstrip Pod on all the social media outlets, and please do leave us a positive review as it helps other people find the show. And also follow Amateur Artours. Their stuff is linked in the episode description. I do appreciate Mike um, for letting us do a bit of a crossover here and for all the times that he comes over on the show and the times that he has us on over at Amateur Art Tours as well. So thank you so much for being here. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. And here is our review of Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike. And joining me, we have Jay Skipworth from Filmstrip Pod. Jay, how you doing? Man, Mike, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. Everyone at home, if it seems like I, I feel uh, a little jacked up and amped up, at, I am. Uh, I'm really excited to be talking about this movie. I also just am off of a, a workout, so I do feel a little bit amped up. Uh, to be, And it just got me a little bit more excited to be talking about this movie. Because this movie, if you guys haven't uh, seen from the title, we will be talking about Chris Nolan's newest film, Tenant. So, Jay, you actually brought this up to me. Because, you know, this film came out and... Uh, and we will talk about a little bit briefly about like the film coming out and being in theaters and then being on streaming. And I, I think like many people missed out on it in theaters uh, because of a little thing called uh, COVID-19 happening on. And um, so I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll see it eventually. You know, I, I was like sort of excited to see tenant, but I didn't really know a whole lot about it because I had other things on my mind, like the COVID-19 pandemic and working in a hospital and all this other stuff going on. But um, you act, so Jay, you texted me when you'd seen this movie and, and uh, essentially being like, I, I got to talk about this with someone. So Tell me about your experience seeing this movie, and then, and then I guess I'll go into mine. Well, I knew this was coming um, because I keep up with Nolan's stuff. Um, I just find him fascinating, and 
after you and I had done the Inception show, I, I caught up with Dunkirk finally and you know all of that. And I thought, okay, you know, I know what he's doing next. It's John David Washington. Robert Pattinson is going to be in this. Elizabeth Debicki, who I like and have seen in a lot of cool stuff. And I thought, okay, this is going to be neat. It's, uh, it's Nolan doing James Bond again. He's coming back to it 10 years later. From you know our Inception show, I talked a lot about how the third act of that is a you know Nolan's idea of a Bond movie, in a lot of ways. And I I keep up with the Bond stuff too, and I knew that the Broccoli's had kind of passed on him for for no time to, for what is now no time to die. And I thought, okay, so you know Nolan's going to do his own thing. So I'm down for this. I'm interested in these actors and this this story about a secret agent who's working against the flow of time or something. That that was all I knew. And then, of course, like everybody else in the world, I'm trying to live and work in a COVID pandemic world and doing stuff. And it keeps getting delayed and getting delayed. And I, I, at some point in the summer, I'm like, there's, there's not going to be any movies in the theaters this year. I just kind of walked away from it. I'm sitting still on a Christmas gift from two Christmases ago now of <laughs> gift cards for movies that I, I don't know if I'll ever use them up. Uh, but thank goodness they don't they don't run out. So I'm, you know, I'm like, okay, if there's a movie I'm going to break that for, it's going to be 10, you know, right? I mean, that's what I'm thinking. But things are getting worse, particularly in the area I lived in in North Carolina. It was going up and down. And there was lots of, you know, potential risks. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to go see this in a theater. I'm just going to make that decision that I, I want to see this movie, but I'm not going to roll the dice on it for that. I will wait till it comes out and I will, I will buy it. I will commit to buying a copy of it. And then I did what I did back when uh, star Wars force awakens was coming out, man. I muted everything I could about it from my timelines. Cause I didn't want to know. Um, and what little sneak through, cause those mutes don't work by the way. Um, what little sneak through was just a lot of people going, I don't know. <laughs> like there were a lot of confusion and I thought, okay, that, that tells me what I thought I already knew anyway, was this was going to be one of those you had to think about a lot. So I, knowing that I was going to see it at home when I ultimately saw it, I felt good about that because I thought, well, at least I'll be in an environment where I can control what's, you know, how I'm watching it, how I'm taking it in rather than a theater where if I go to see this in a theater, it, one, that's a tough experience. Anyway, when you go to a theater, I always try to hit like an off time to see something. If I'm, if it's something I know I'm going to want to talk about. And I would have been sitting there the whole time going like, am I breathing right? Is my mask tied? All that. And I thought, I don't need that distraction with the Christopher Nolan movie. I don't know if I could do that with a Disney movie. So, you know, I, I, I didn't want that. So I waited until after the holidays when the, uh, the discs came out. And I said, well, I'm going to buy the most bare bones disc they've got in case I'm, you know, I'm going to lose 12 bucks on this, which is what I would have spent on a ticket or what it would, you know, off my gift certificates. And I thought, well, okay, I'm going to do that. And I watched it and then I watched it again. And I just became obsessed with thinking about it because I had a gap of a few days in the holidays um, where my wife was still out of town and I was alone and I just had time to consume something like this. And I've just thought about it and thought about it and thought about it and read a lot about it. I said, who can I convince to talk with me about this? Because I, I knew like none of the film strip crew would go for it. It's not that they're not a, you know, into that or whatever. It's just that we had a we have a really packed schedule. And for those that don't know, we record way in advance. Mike knows this. So I didn't know where I could stick it, where it would make any sense. You know, I'll come around to it later. And I got to thinking, I was like, hey, you know what? I bet Mike Gallagher would go for this. <laughs> and so, because uh, you and I had done the Inception show. And I thought, oh, you know what? This would be kind of a good circle around that. They're 10 years apart. Let's you know, give it a shot. So I hit you up for it. And uh, you said, yeah, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm game for it. So 
that that was my story of, of wanting to see 10 and I knew very little about it. I ignored everything I could see about it. So when I watched it, I could just have this experience. And the thing I knew going in was everybody, everything I had heard was that it's really confusing and, and you, you don't know what's going on. And I watched it and I'm sitting there going like, I don't know why everybody's so wigged out. I mean, I don't know everything about this movie, but I kind of got it. I mean, it's just right there. And I, I I will lay most of that on the fact that I watched it in my living room by myself in the middle of a you know lazy afternoon and on, on you know holiday vacation. And I just with I just subtitles sat. on? No, I didn't. I didn't oh, turn them on. Okay, we'll get to that. No. Yeah, because because I had heard other people say, like, turn the subtitles on, and I was like, hmm. The second time I watched it, I did that. And it did <laughs> help. But but I also am uh, I I relate very much to the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey which has, you know, 70 lines of dialogue or whatever in it. And you, you don't always have to have words to pull it off. When the visuals do their job and in Nolan films, they do their job. You don't need them. And I, so I didn't feel like I had missed anything. I thought, oh, okay, you know, I don't totally, I couldn't sit here and teach a class on this movie right now. I don't know that I could review it immediately after I saw it the first time, but I felt like I had got it. And it just kind of reveals more and more as I go through it. So that's, that's the long answer to, you know, how I got to Tenet. Yeah, and you bring up a lot of good points that I actually would like to t- discuss in further in this uh, discussion. But for me, you actually sp- – so I did want to see Tenant at some point. Uh, prefer I would have preferred to see it in theaters as any Nolan film. But, you know, just with the pandemic going on, I just didn't feel safe. My area, it's, it's you know, it's it's not – we're outside of Philly, um, you know, right outside of Trenton. It's, it's not like – it was never really super bad, but I just never trusted the area. Um, so I just, you know, put on the back burner. Um, I, I didn't really see a whole lot of spoilers because the people that I'm friends with, they're not going to be like posting discussions in depth analysis of tenant. So I was like, okay, what? And just kind of slipped my mind. My brother, Brian, he, he brought, he bought a, a Blu-ray of it and he's like, yeah, and he really, he liked it. Um, and I was like, okay, let me, I'll, I'll borrow from him. Uh, I ended up buying a standard definition copy um, because it was right after you texted me that you spurned me on to, you know, get around to watching this. Oh, because, you know, now I have someone I know I can definitely talk uh, talk to about the movie afterwards. So I bought the movie and I was like, okay, I'm going to watch it this weekend. It was like a Thursday or something. And I worked the next few nights. So what's funny how I watched this movie it was after three nights of working, and that wasn't what got me. What got me was so I watched it on a Sunday, the f- uh, the day before, so Saturday morning. I got my second COVID vaccine, and and so I was fine. I, I was feeling fine. I worked that night. Uh, it was around three o'clock in the morning because I'm a night shift worker on Sunday morning that I started breaking out into a fever. I was like temperature sensitivity. Like I was on the unit wearing a winter coat, like sitting there and uh, the older nurses were like, Hey, you should check your temperature because you're feeling warm. And I had like a hundred point two fever. I didn't really feel that bad. And I was like, Oh, like whatever. I I finished out the shift. Like I was like, we're wearing masks and and it wasn't, I wasn't sick. It was just the, you know, the immuno response to the second vaccine. Yeah. So it was working. And so I was like, Oh, what I got home and uh, I didn't feel like that great. Um, I took my temperature before I left and it was like a hundred point five. I'm like, okay, it's definitely like, you know, I got to go home <laughs> and I didn't work that night. So I was like, okay, whatever. So I take like a long shower and then I um, take like, some ibuprofen. I take some sleeping medication and I go to sleep and I'm like, oh, I feel fine. I woke up and I had a hundred one point six fever 
temperature sensitivity, fatigued. Like I was like, oh man, I'm knocked on my ass. So then I was like, well, I'm not going anywhere. So I ordered a pizza and I put on Tenet (laughs) on my, (laughs) on my big, on this, on this TV. And I got halfway through the movie and I was like, I got to take a nap. (laughs) And my, my brain, like I just, it's not that the movie was, I mean, it's confusing, but it's not like, I wasn't like, oh my God, what's going on? But I was just like, I'm so tired. And like, I'm like, is this the fever dream? Is this me? Like what's going So I took a nap and uh, I felt much better when I woke up. Like it, it ran its course in like eight hours and I finished the movie and, and I remember finishing it and being like, hmm. The big thing is, I don't know if this, and this is not playing my hand one way or another, and I think this conversation is going to help me determine whether I think this movie is genius or this movie is absolute shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I'm very excited to see what uh, this, a con- this conversation can spur. So that was my um, experience watching Tenant. I haven't had time to watch it uh, a second time just because uh, I'm a high school swim coach. That's been going on work a night shift. Uh, the season's winding down. Um, still trying to like, you know, st- have somewhat of a, uh, fitness, <laughs> like staying healthy in, in these days. So I didn't really have another time to watch this two and a half hour long film, but, uh, I've been listening to reviews. I've been reading articles about it, you know, going through the plot synopsis again, just, you know, keeping fresh on it. And, and so I think I'm ready for this discussion. Um, and real quick, I do want to talk about briefly Nolan in context of this film in that how I perceive this is that this was the movie that was going to bring moviegoers back to the theater. And I thought at first I thought this was just like a studio thing, like because this movie, the budget was like, what, two hundred million dollars or something Oh, yeah, it was like a that. lot of money. Like yeah, a they, ton they, they probably of money. spent three hundred and fifty on it just promoting it. Yeah, you know, ex- like so like almost like a half of half a billion dollars almost or a quarter of a billion dollars on this movie and you're like holy shit so that i was just like oh it's a studio thing they like really just want to make back this money and they're really pushing up but i i read that nolan was also really vocal in that too and i think that's really bizarre and to me, it's it's distasteful, and it really just shows like how delusional like these Hollywood types are. And unfortunately, it seems I mean maybe delusional is too harsh of a word, but it's like we're in the middle of a global pandemic where like thousands of people are dying a day, and you know we get and even in, in the midst of this, like we have like Hollywood actors like oh just we all got to stick together, we got to pray together, and I don't want to get political, but it's like yeah, it's really easy for you to say stay home when your mansion is like the, uh-huh. the my apartment is maybe the size of your closet you know in one bedroom so it it just i think it's really telling of just like how not that they i I mean i don't Mm. want to go as harsh and critical and uh and pessimist to say they don't care but it was really distasteful to me well well, i'll I'll say this i i think a lot of it is it's two things the uh, warner's and no one's not wrong with this totally sold out all of their artists <laughs> with their move to HBO max. Now I understand why they did it because when you have properties that are meant to make funding for it, you can't just keep sitting on them forever because they will lose their, their moment. I mean, not everything is timeless. So they made the deal they needed to make to stay alive as a studio. People got paid, you know, whatever. Um, 
I do think Nolan gets in his own bubble, uh, like every you know major director does, and and things like that. And I think he went out there thinking, well, the studio's behind me, so I'm going to push this thing because Nolan is no shy person about talk, talking about his work. Um, that makes him a little different than guys like uh, Kubrick, you know, or or maybe even Paul W. Sanderson, or you know, some of those kind of people where you know, they'll kind of talk about it, but they don't really want to talk about it. Or you know, if you talk to Quentin Tarantino about his movie, he's liable to talk to you about forty other things before you ever talk about his movie. No one will talk to you about all of it. He'll just tell you, you know, and he's his own self promotion unit. And I think when he went out there and then went hard with it and then Warner's backed off because there's a lot of like, Hey, what the hell are y'all talking about doing right now? He looked around and was like, I'm the only one here. (laughs) And (laughs) and I think he kind of doubled down on it. I would say this, if, if it was him or an executive or whoever group of people, and it couldn't have just been one person, but group of people that made the decision of like, let's take the most complicated movie of the last decade and use that as the one to bring everybody back to theaters for that was a wrong headed decision to begin with. Cause I'll tell you now, I wish I could have seen this in a theater. I hope one day to be able to see it in a theater. I think we're going to see a lot of, you know, rerun things in theaters going forward because I think it'll be cool. And the fact that they spent so much money on the IMAX cameras for it and all that, I want to see it in that format, but I'm not one of those people that feels like, Oh gosh, I didn't see that in the theater. I really regret that. Like the last time I would have felt like that about a movie, Mike was 1997 because I knew I wanted to see Titanic in a theater because there was no possible way to see something like that at home. We can do that now. You know, mm-hmm. I have a pretty decent home television and it's got great resolution and stuff. And I'm even on a bare bones DVD. I'm like, this is probably going to look amazing, you know, and I, I'm okay with that. So I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't really feel this need of like, oh yes, we must go back and do this. I want theaters to survive too, but we got to be smart too. And I did think like, yeah, everybody see stop talking. <laughs> like this is the wrong time to do this. But when they had put it out and then the returns came back, you know, I mean, I think the last thing I saw at Warner's lost like a hundred million dollars on it, even though it's, it's technically made its budget back, but whatever. I was like, could have told you y'all. I mean, that's, you know, it made way more money overseas um, in places that have handled the pandemic because they don't have population concentrations like we do. So it's easier to deal with. I, I wasn't surprised. And I, I hate that. I feel like a lot of the criticism about this movie, though, is tied to that. And I, I don't think that's fair to the narrative of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I understand why people would feel strongly about that. I mean, certainly, you know, we all have a lot of frayed edges and are very tired from the last you know, 12 months of, of living like this. Um, so I get that. But I also feel like you can set that aside if you if you want to and just watch the property for what it is. So I, again, I made the decision myself that I'm not going to a theater for this as much as I wanted to see it. I was like, that's, that's not a smart decision right now for me, for my family, et cetera. I'm watching this at home. And, you know, as it turned out, uh, you know, we got exposed uh, here. We're fine and everything, but we ended up, you know, hanging out for 10 days with nothing to do. And I was like, well, I'm glad I have tenant. And so I would keep it on, you know, just while I was trying to work and do other stuff. It's not, I, I learned in that process, Mike, it's not the kind of movie you can put on in the background. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, you, cause you'll look up and go, where are they again? <laughs> and so I, I, I failed that experiment on that, but yeah, I, I, I think it's unfortunate that this movie got trotted out to do something that I don't think it was built to do anyway, because I'll be honest with you, if, if all things were normal, this movie would have been a big hit. A lot of people would have gone to see it, 
but I still think the complicated relationship people have with it would exist because it's a complicated thing. It is not mm-hmm. meant to be experienced in a one shot, two hour, you know, date night and then go home, you know, with it. And then Nolan himself says that. And part of this is him, you know, getting in his own flower bed a little bit, but he thinks his movies are an experience. You know, you, you have to, if it's anything like an experience, you have to go back and you have to go back. And I liken it a lot to like his work is a lot like Pink Floyd records. You can just put them on and the, you'll miss it, you know, and then you can put it on and really just live with it. But you almost want to go like, and I kind of want to go back and do that again, just so I get it again. So I feel like it, it it does lend itself to revisiting. And not all of his movies are that way, but this one in particular is definitely that way. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like, I was thinking, does Nolan even have this clout anymore? I mean, you know, you think back like 10, like 8, 10 years ago. Think of, you know, the Dark, like Dark Knight the trilogy. You think of Inception. Like those movies, yeah, those were blockbusters. Those those like brought people to the theater. Inter- Interstellar was a big hit. Well, and then I was going to bring up like Interstellar, you know, it's like a hard, well, quote unquote, hard sci-fi, like, you know, Kip Thorne, who comes back to this movie, which interesting. Um, but I mean, I even have the book of the science of Interstellar. You know, it's this quote unquote hard sci-fi mixed with like theory and just like total fiction and it weaves together. But I remember seeing that in theaters because I'm like a big like space guy and being like, oh, yeah. this is awesome. But I didn't really hear people thinking like or saying like, like the praise that like the dark Knight had per se or inception had, this was just like, Oh yeah, it's like, it's like a fun, it's like a cool movie, but I don't think people got it. And, and that's, mm-hmm. seems to be a theme. And then Dunkirk comes out. Now I saw Dunkirk in theaters. I thought it was a fantastic movie. I, I thought it was like astounding, but I didn't exactly hear people saying Dunkirk, Dunkirk, we need more Dunkirk. I mean, I, I'm saying that, but because I, like we said in the inception review that Nolan is that bridge between Kubrick and Spielberg. He can make the yeah. blockbuster and he can make the, uh, the philosophical deep thinking film. And he can even combine them if he's, if he's really smart in his, uh, in his uh, filmmaking and in the screen in the screenwriting. So I, I was just thinking like, does he like, does Tenet deserve that clout? And I guess you can get into Nolan. If let's say some random director made Tenet, would we be as forgiving for some of the convoluted plot in this movie? Or would we still be like, no, there's something here. Like is, is the idea and the concept strong enough to hold that? Or is it, not sim- not not saying it's only Nolan, but just knowing who Nolan is. It's kind of like Kubrick. Like, oh, not 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 being like the Church of Kubrick or the Church of Nolan. Is you like, oh, everything. This is so on. Pur- everything's on purpose. There's a purpose. Like this detail's like, no, you got to call spade a spade. Yeah. But and I mean, and to be to be fair on that end, if if people go back to film strip, we've done Curtin, uh, one of my co-hosts, and I did the entire Kubrick lexicon, and and you can tell there's a good point in in there where Kurt and I are kind of done with with what he's all oh, about. Oh yeah, you you, you guys yeah. called the spades out when you saw you, you called them as you see it. Yeah, and and so and I think that's that's only fair to do, and I don't do that with with Nolan too. I mean, I don't think everything he's done is brilliant. I think some of it. It, it frankly is a big misfire and I'll, I, I, you didn't ask me to do this, but I did rank all of his films. So at the end, I'll give that out for people that want to you know hang around that long, but I think some of them miss and, and don't really lend themselves to the revisit as well as other ones do. As far as, you know, does he get a pass? Yeah, absolutely. He does. And does he have that kind of clout? Yep. 
uh, because his movies do make a lot of money. They generate a lot of buzz. People talk about them. They, they, they make podcasts about them. They, they make videos on YouTube about them. They get impressions. The studio sees him as a bankable thing. That's why they keep bankrolling these huge moves. And to be fair, he and his wife are their own producers too. So they're throwing some of their own dough in this too. Now they get you know the other side of that, but they're putting some of their skin in the game too, much like Spielberg does. And you know, a lot of other directors do. So, yeah, I think he he could command that kind of clout to do something ambitious like this because they greenlit this movie. I mean, he spent five years writing it and they greenlit it before he ever had it done because they thought this is this will work. Yeah, because for a long time, man, I remember like people talked about this was going to be like a, a another chapter of Inception. But I thought I don't think Nolan's interested in doing sequel stuff anymore because I to play part of the hand now I, the most the most bored i've ever seen him i think was the dark knight rises that looked like a movie that he was not remotely interested in doing and i think it plays out like that because i think he he didn't get to make what he wanted in the dark knight because you know the tragedy of heath ledger dying and so you know he he compromised himself in that so I, yeah, I, I don't know that he's interested in sequels. So I knew that wasn't going to happen. And then I, the more I heard about it, I thought, well, this is just going to be another one of those mind benders. And I'm okay with that every now and then. Like, I, I think that'll be fun. Because what's funny is I saw this at home the same week I saw Wonder Woman 1984. And you talk about a flip of the switch in terms <laughs> of what a movie's asking you to do. Uh, they, yeah. Yeah. And before we get into, I guess, because we, we had this discussion of like, how do we talk about this movie? Um, and I think we should definitely start with the opening sequence. And by that, yeah. I mean the the opening heist to like when Tenet, like the title kind of rolls onto the screen. But there's two points that I do want to bring up. The first one, uh, this is, I don't know if this is true or not. If it is, I think it's telling and that Nolan I knew that before every film, he screens a um, every film that he makes. He gra- he gets the big crew together and he f- and he screens a film uh, about like a kind of like this is the vibe, this is the aesthetic that we're going for. Every film he's done that, except for Tenet, when they didn't do that because like we've ne- there's there's never been a movie made like this and <laughs> and I'm like oh and when I heard that I was like that makes sense and I'm not necessarily saying that as like a compliment because I think that not him not having this idea of like, this is the aesthetic or this is like the, the the type of movie we're going for. I think it shows unless it's like his. And I want to go back to the point about the, uh, you mentioned, we mentioned, Oh, I asked, did you watch this with subtitles on? I watch this with subtitles on because, and I don't know if I was just sick in the, in like this fever state where I like couldn't understand what they were talking about. I'm like, I'm just going to put the subtitles on. And and you mentioned something like with with 2001, and I can think of other films like uh, Mad Max, Fury Road, for example. Like, yeah. it feels like an opera, and that you don't necessarily need the uh, the dialogue to know what's going on. Like, you could turn it off. You could turn, well, at least you could turn the dialogue off, and you you know you could listen to the music, and you can and you could see the visuals, and you will know what's going on. It's like classic cinema, but I don't know. I, I don't know if I would make that comparison with tenant because there's so much and this is i guess like no one's issue with screenwriting like there's so much exposition in there but it's like not half-assed exposition where there's just like so much dump and you still don't they, they i think they the characters even poke fun at it it's like oh does your head hurt yet it's like dude my head was hurting like an hour and a half ago <laughs> well, so 
I'll, I'll say this about about the, just the structure and, and how they deliver information in this. Nolan, somewhere or another along the way, got obsessed with the idea of naturalistic sound. In other words, if you're in a room and then you walk outside, the conversation you're having with the person to you changes because your volume changes because you've got other noise going on and it should feel like that. And I don't necessarily agree with that because part of the reason I go to a movie is to be able to understand what's going on. That said, again, I watched this movie knowing almost nothing about it. And I didn't pick up a lot of the dialogue along the way the first time through, but by the end of it, I felt like I understood what had happened that I, that it led me somewhere. The thing I did notice about it, and I didn't even intend to do this, but I'm sitting there like I always do, like everybody does with the movie. I'm sitting there with my phone, right? You know, and just, yeah, I look at Twitter or whatever while I'm you know, in between scenes or whatever. And I realized very quick, at some point, I just turned my phone and laid it down and I, I didn't even know I had done it. I just sort of naturalistically decided I need to just watch this and try to try not to listen to every word, but just to see what the action is on the screen and what that you know is representing. And the the thing about that opening in the key of opera house, um, and it's something I only have caught now because I've, I've rewatched it a couple of times, but it's a cool thing to note the way he racks his gun and catches the bullet in it. If you watch that, knowing what you know about how the movie works and reverse entropy and, and inverted, you know, all that stuff that tells you a lot about what you're about to see. You're seeing something that is it's the end is the beginning is the end and i and I, I love that story you know about he didn't know what movie to screen i'm like you probably should have just showed him the first five minutes of memento because it's the same thing yep <laughs> you know like you, verbatim you see, yeah you see you see leonard unfire the gun i mean it's the same it's the same thing and i i liked it though because i thought okay if this is supposed to be christopher nolan's answer to the big action movie and specifically the big action James Bond movie, you know, that he didn't get to make bond movies always start out with some random action thing, but the smart bonds and not all of them do this, but a lot of them will start out with like connected action. So the thing that happens in the, in the prologue actually matters as you go forward, either because of something he does, a technique he learns, a gadget he uses or the people he's with. And I thought, okay, that's obviously what happened here. And you, you only know that at the end, but you meet the two most important people you need to know. And you learn a lot about them in this scene, you know, John David Washington's protagonist, um, which yes, it is super pretentious to have a character that just is the protagonist, but whatever, we'll get over that for a minute. When he goes to that contact in the, the upper deck of the opera house and he does that line back and forth with it about like, you know, it's the twilight or whatever. And, and the guy's supposed to say something back to him, you know, the, the otter flies West at six or what the hell ever <laughs> you already know, like this dude is not a rookie. He's not brand new. He knows what he's doing. He's involved in this. And so is this other person. And maybe I don't know what they're talking about, but I can already trust that this person knows what they're doing in this situation. So I don't have to watch him train. I don't have to assume he's a Mary Sue or any of that other bullshit. I can just go like, yeah, this guy is an operative. He knows what he's doing. I also get to meet this person with this talisman hanging off of their backpack. And I'm like, you don't do a close up on something random like that. Some random piece of Indian Eastern philosophy um, <laughs> like that without it meaning something. And we learn a lot about Neil and that, which is the Robert Pattinson character we'll learn about later on, which, I, we probably should have said spoiler warning, but I mean, come on. <laughs> Everyone, point, it's, uh, it, they yeah. know. If they're listening, they know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. But but you learn everything you need to know about those two guys from that scene and how they operate. 
and how they work through it is the protagonist is always pushing the thing forward. And the thing you got to remember about this movie is Nolan is going to deal with time travel in a way that I haven't seen movies do a lot, which is where you're not going back to fix your kids, Marty, or you're not going to go get your parents together at the end of the fish dance. You're just going to make sure that things happen the way they're supposed to, because what's happened happened. You know, and and I I like I don't know I just I like it I like it as an opening. It's a great action scene. Of course, it's based on you know a real thing that happened in uh, I forget where it was now uh, Russia or one of the yeah. Russian states, uh, which is terrible. But it's it's a neat action scene. It gets you right in the mood. You know, it's uh, it's very similar to the way the Dark Knight opens with that bank robbery. I, I felt a, a lot of the same note from it, and I thought, okay, we're we're back to what we do. Yeah. Because, and, yeah. And I really like this uh, this opening as well. It, it it really sucks you in. I really like kind of uh, the pairing. It's a kind of very meta when we open up with an orchestra tuning there. Like it's almost like getting ready for an, uh, an overture. And then, nope, the gunmen come in. And it's like, oh, like you're the audience sitting in, in the Kiev Opera House. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's, it is really engrossing, even though I'm like, because you don't necessarily need to know like the details of what's going on. You, you, it's like the bare bones, like, okay, like here are the CIA, like these are the American CIA operatives. They're coming, they're, they're extracting someone. And you do learn, like you, you learn everything you need to know. And it's like, this is what the opening montage or the opening sequences should be. You need to learn everything you need to know about this character. He is not going to leave um, civilians to be gassed or blown up. He's, he's, they're like, oh, well, they're not our mission. He's mine. They're mine now. Yeah. And, and we know that he is, I don't want to say pure, but he's the good guy. You know, yeah. he's, he has these strong convictions that he's not going to let nobody's go to wait or go be killed, yeah, which, he, which he goes doesn't into. They don't believe in the concept of collateral damage. Yeah. It's what we're getting at. And that's what's neat to see. I think it's also neat, Mike, that it, it's actually a failed mission, but it's not. But it, we're led to believe that it doesn't work because he gets captured. Right. And the next thing we know, we're out in the middle of the you know GTA five train track scene. Yeah. Well, and it's and it's interesting, too, because, you know, he's willing to save these strangers. And, you know, how, like, you know, spoiler alert, like we find out about him as the protagonist. And correct me if I'm wrong. Is he like the founder of Tenant? Or yes. okay, that's what I that's what I gathered from the end that he is the protagonist, like the creator of Tenant. He, he will and, create Tenant in the future, in the distant future, and will recruit Neil to go back, who basically makes sure everything happens the way it does, so that he will get to the point that he can create Tenant. That's yeah, I mean, it, that, it's very yeah. uh, Bill and Ted esque. Yes, it is. Like <laughs> it's very like it's like oh well, like we just have to remember to do these things and make sure. And I do yeah. love those conversations they have. But real, but before we get to those, you know, we do get to that G, like you mentioned the GTA Five torture sequence on the train tracks, where I guess this is the test the protagonist has himself go through that it's like the test of tenant it's 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 also again very much like uh the scene from uh kingsman when they're like oh are you gonna mm-hmm. are you gonna give us up even if death is literally staring you in the face and uh our protagonist does not he he succeeds even after quote unquote watching the other guy get his teeth ripped out he gets his own teeth ripped out which i didn't really catch the first time well i knew I they were ripping either. out teeth i knew they were torturing him but there's that whole you know another clock oh you know he didn't last 20 minutes I'll give you an hour, and then uh, they they take out a cyanide pill, which which they like they all knew. And you're like, oh, was it, it's an inside job? Someone talked, and then and then uh, the other guy he he has an extra cyanide pill, 
and you know he throws himself forward and kills himself for the cause and then you know he yeah. opens his eyes go blood like they're like you know bloodshot that you can tell like he's he's done and then black screen tenant comes up and i think well, it's, it's a very kinetic opening to this whole bit it is it's, it's a confusing one too and it's supposed to throw you off and make you question what did I just see? Was it real? Was it not? And the thing I love about it is immediately after when he meets his contact on the boat, the guy lays it out for him. Like that was a test. Not a lot of people pass it, you know, well, welcome aboard. <clears throat> and yeah. the fact that he, he goes through those links, lets you know that like, okay, we're now literally dealing with someone that as far as the government's concerned, than really anybody else who ever knew him doesn't exist anymore. And I kind of let the movie—I I let the movie off the hook for not giving us a name at that point because what difference does it make? And part of it is what I do for a living and working people that recruit on campuses and stuff. I've actually worked with CIA recruiters, and they're super nice people. They are not these action heroes and stuff. They're really smart, like intellectual people, but they never give you a name that's real. <laughs> they're like, well, well, you know, they'll give you a, a first name that they obviously work under. You never get a last name. And one of them told me once said, I can make one up for you if you make you feel better. I'm like, no, that's okay. You know, like I like we'll let that slide on, on your your application or whatever to be in the system because it's just how they operate. But I like that too. And he drops something, you know, in one of the early acts where he talks about he lies because that's standard operating procedure. You always lie. And it's something you got to know about this character. And I think after you've seen the movie and you've heard that and you've seen him go through this stuff, you you realize that you can't always trust what he says, which is why I don't really care that I don't catch every word he says, because half the time it may not even be real. He's just saying what he needs to, to move the action forward. Right. Cause he's the protagonist. And that, I mean, that's, I don't know. It's, it's it, in some ways it's like, that's so smart. It's kind of ridiculous. But on the other hand, it's like, actually that's kind of neat that, that you will pay that off to the extent that you do throughout the entirety of the script. And I, I really do like these open, like, you know, we, the, with the, the hands coming together, there's a single word tenant. Um, what is it? Pal- palindrome? Is that like same, yeah. same side going forwards and backwards? I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And they put him in this, um, in this middle of the ocean with this windmill or like a wind turbine. And he just stays there. Like, oh, just, just stay, like, we're going to stay here. We'll come get you when, when, you, when we're ready. And, Knowing that, and like again, I think this no one is a details man like that. In the moment, you don't understand why he's here, why he has to be off. But you know, later in the film, it's important that he is out of the way, and it's also sets up for later in the movie where it's like, oh well, why, why do we like why we don't have to worry about particular things happening, and yeah. and so I think that's a it's 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 catching my attention at this point. I'm ready to. I'm like, okay, I'm accepting the movie. I'm willing to go with the movie. Like you said, I don't need all the details. If anything, I want less details because I feel (laughs) like the more details I get, the more convoluted it's going to get, especially in like act two. Yeah. And I got to ask you because the the next thing they do before we move into what what will be really the the meat of act one, because you could kind of consider everything that happens with the Kiev situation until he wakes up on that boat, the prologue. The key of act one is where he meets the scientist who teaches him about inverted entropy and the bullets that he's catching with the gun rather than firing with the gun. I'll be honest with you, Mike. The first time I watched that scene, I was like, what? 
and I rewound <laughs> it. And I said, I just want to, not that I missed out. I just run that by me one more time. And I'm so thankful I had the opportunity to do that at home because if I had been sitting in a theater, I'd have been, the whole movie would have been, what, what was that about again? When you watch that scene again, she actually does a pretty decent job explaining it. But there's a line that everybody's latched onto in it. It's like the criticism of the movie. Don't think about it. Just feel it. And it's actually exactly right. Because what she is there to deliver to him, and, and this is kind of my own personal theory. I think she's one of the people that ultimately invents inverted entropy. She yeah. just doesn't know it yet. I think she's a scientist that kills herself. Yeah, exactly. She's, she's like the... Um, She's like the Einstein, like, uh, or like, she's the one that splits the atom and she ends up killing herself because of like, what have I created? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. She becomes obsessed with the damage, you know, she's you know done with this and what it's created. But I think, I do think she doesn't know that yet, which is kind of neat to see her here. And the way she explains everything to him is again, it's just so he knows enough to be able to move forward. You just, you got to know this to know how it basically works. And then you can work through it because the leaps and bounds that this character goes through to be able to understand how to work in an inverted state is pretty remarkable when it comes around to it in that chase scene that we'll get to in a little while in the second act. But this scene in particular is it's neat to watch how it's staged, how it's put together and what information you get as a part of it. And I think it's also a statement too, that a lot of times science creates these incredible advances splitting the atoms a great example that weren't necessarily invented for they were invented for a reason that was invented to make a weapon out of it i mean everybody knew that going into it but i didn't exactly know you would use it like that and and when you see that in its infancy it's oh it's neat to watch it sort of unravel and and it's it's really just a throwaway plot point so that you understand this is how that bullet went backward now, now go with it. And, and she also drops the other piece of information about the radiation part of it, which is another theme that runs throughout this thing. And Nolan himself is someone who's very, he's very conscious and aware of like natural resources and climate change and, and the things that we're doing to the world. And what are we really leaving behind? You know, I mean, um, he's not as out front uh, as like Leonardo DiCaprio is and some others about it, but he's definitely someone who thinks about that, talks about it, reads about it. So it's clearly in the back of his mind and he's lacing that through this here. So I don't know. I've always liked that scene, but again, first time I watched it, I was like, what? And I had to rewind it. It's that line of just feel it. Like a lot of people would be like, Oh, come on. But like, there is always that line in these time travel movies. My favorite one is in Austin powers gold member when they're like, when he's like, well, wouldn't this mean like my future self is like, oh, my brain hurts. And then it's like, oh, just sit back and enjoy the ride. And it's like, oh, and that means you too. And they turn to the kids like, yes, enjoy yeah. the ride. Like there has to be that moment of just like, guys, let's like, let's just stop breaking it down mm-hmm. because I could sit here and be like, well, how did these get sent back? Like what, like, what does that mean? What is this algorithm that we'll get into? I could, we could sit here for hours and discuss that, but it's not, that's not the point it's not the point it doesn't matter that's exactly right it, it doesn't matter you just need to accept that that is how this movie works the same way that you can accept that when you go into a dream you can go into layers and you can it's, <laughs> it's the same it's the same conceit as inception it's the same kind of con- conceit that one you could kind of see because they give you a you know a dream den where the guy's drugging everybody out and all that stuff and they show you this stuff but 
that's as far fetched as backwards flying bullets. You know, I mean, it's, there's no, there's no difference in them. It's just the thing that we need to propel the story. Go with it. And, and if you will, if you, if you'll let yourself do that, and I say this to people that are watching the movie or are going to rewatch it. If you just sort of accept this, we live in a world where this now exists in this movie, you can kind of just go with the rest of this without getting it. And and Robert Pattinson gets a great speech in the second act where he talks about the grandfather paradox. Yep. And he pretty much says like, eh, don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah does like, the brain hurt? Don't worry yeah, about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it probably, it probably, you know, it, maybe that works. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. It's better than back to the future three. So I'm, I'm okay with it. You know, like I, I didn't, I didn't get too caught up in that because I love time manipulation movies, time travel movies, but I've always known that if you start pulling at those threads, you're going to, you're going to undo the sweater pretty quick. I feel like he probably should have uh, screened like the first five minutes memento and then screened primer. There you go. Or looper or looper or primer or all of them, (laughs) because it's going to be like, it's just like, it doesn't, matter like you can't put hard science to time travel no, you so, can't and, and that's the thing he did with 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 his physics guy this time was where he tried to stay so strict <laughs> to it in interstellar he's, he's like, like eh. yeah that's cool but i i, I want to have this happen in the movie because the other thing you got to remember and don't forget this about christopher nolan he loves fast and furious movies particularly the first one and the third one <laughs> all right he and he wanted to make an action movie. And what do action movies have? Ridiculous stunt stuff that you can never see anywhere else, and bits of comedy dropped in it. And don't lose sight of the fact that John David Washington doesn't exactly sound like his dad, except in just little shades here and there. But he's got his comedy. He's got that dry Denzel drop. And I mean, he is great at it. And they give him a ton of lines in the first act where he's just going from meeting to meeting. And he just always gets a good one liner. And I, I love it. I thought I I can't say enough about how good I think he is in this. Oh yeah. And how and I mean I know and I know he's done a lot of he's doing a lot more interesting things now and stuff. And I really hope he gets, you know, to do more stuff because I think he's a talented, talented performer. Um, and I've been a fan of his dads for you know decades and you know i can't wait to see what he does next but i thought he he really held his own against some good actors you know kenneth Branagh is no joke as an actor um and robert pattinson if if you if all you know about him is edward you haven't seen the dude oh. like that dude is amazing <laughs> he's performer. a renaissance he's got a new renaissance in the last like decade or so yes. not even de- like well decade but like even the last like five years or so yeah i'm, I'm pumped to see is. him as batman i think he'll be great in that so elizabeth debecky as i've talked about hasn't always been in the best stuff but when she but she's always good in it you know she was in that awful cloverfield paradox movie but she's great in it mm-hmm. and you totally and she also has a presence too i mean when you're six foot three as a woman like you just have a different look and the way she just sort of gracefully carries herself. I see why they cast her as princess die on the crown. I don't even watch the crown. I kind of want to watch that now mm-hmm. just to see that. Cause I'm like, my princess die was kind of tall. So, I mean, she's a lot taller, but to watch that and to see her sort of glow, glow through this, it's cool to see. And so I, I I'm saying all that to say, the first act is where we have to dump all the exposition on the protagonist. Who's also our eyes as the audience. Right. And you can even see he's not getting all of it but he doesn't need to either. He just gets what he needs and he moves to the next piece. 
Yeah. And, and that next piece is, you know, the, I guess the official introduction to Neil when they're, they're sitting down, they're talking another CIA contact and, you know, they trace the, the, the inverted bullets to some arms dealer in Mumbai. But what I really like about their first interaction is, you know, like the, specifically the scene when they're ordering drinks and he's like, Oh, he'll take a, he'll die, take a diet Pepsi or diet Coke. And it's like, well, like, I know you don't, you don't drink on the job. It's like, well, how do you know that? I know, I know. And yeah. I love that, like that interplay and like how Pattinson plays it where it's like nice and coy. He's like, I know things that you don't know, but like, we'll get there. It's okay. And, and that really does pay off at the end too. Cause at first I was like, Oh, who's, who's this guy, which I have to say for this movie, like they do set things up, but it is a kind of predictable in some moments. Like I knew right away that, the the guy who had the talisman like with the with the rope like who saved uh the protagonist i knew that was neil i I knew right away that that was neil and you wouldn't give that to some throwaway person like that's gotta be i'm like that's i'm like that's totally neil (laughs) i'm like i don't know how it is but it is and it's a at the reveal at the end i was almost like no shit (laughs) you know well well, i mean that's what's great about this is the protagonist is the architect of all of this stuff. But at this moment in time in his life, he doesn't know any of this yet. Neil, on the other hand, knows all of it because he's, he, you know, he was trained by him. He was recruited by him, you know, and if, if you believe some theories, he's known him for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Get into that at the end. Oh yeah. But, but you know, it's, it's obviously somebody who is armed with a lot of knowledge, but rather than try to overwhelm, you know, protagonist with all of it, he just says, I'm just going to give you what you need to get through. And the first thing he does is he teaches him another, you know, great uh, physics lesson of inverted physics, right? Is it, you remember bungee jumping? Well, imagine if that just went in reverse. And I thought that was a great action scene. I mean, again, the the cool thing about Nolan films and, and particularly this one, there's like 200 effect shots in it. So all of this other junk is really people on wire work and good rubber bands and, and doing some cool stunt work and to hear tell of it. You pretty much, if it's John David Washington, it's pretty much him doing it. And he was an athlete in college, stuff like that. So uh, you you can see it. But uh, Nolan said he was even surprised how physical he was and stuff and how he could handle all of that stuff. And I, I don't know. I love all of that. I love when they springboard onto uh, Priya's, you know, uh, rooftop place or whatever. And the misdirect of thinking the guy automatically is the, is the arms dealer when it's actually her. Yeah. And th- that's something kind of neat that I don't know if people are talking about, like the two female characters in this movie. And there, there are two of them, her and, and cat, um, the, the, uh, Kenneth Branagh's character's wife. They are a very interesting dichotomy in female empowerment and sort of having their own agency and making their own decisions and being the kind of people that will let you think you're in control when they really are. And I, I, I like this woman. I don't know her from anything. I, I don't I don't know the actress from anything, but I thought she was captive. And, and it's cool about Priya is that I thought that she was the founder of Tenant at first. Like, I was like, she's okay. The, because, and like, it, it, it's even expounded upon it even later. Like, when uh, when things like she's purposely leaving information out and, mm-hmm. you know, um, the protagonist even calls her out on it. And it's like, nope, I gave you exactly what you needed. I was like, OK, so she clearly knows way more than she's letting on. Like maybe she like I, I was predicting that she was the founder, not not the yeah. protagonist. Um, but I, I do want to ask a question that kind of came into my head. And this I don't want this to seem like it's a nitpicking detail, but 
it's and it's kind of alluding to like how how I thought the time travel worked. So I thought that they had to go through a turn style to go yeah. backwards. So how did the um how did how did the reverse bungee jumping work? I, I don't know if I'm thinking too much into it. Well, but I, I kind of had that idea. I, I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that was a moment of inversion. I think he Neil was using the. You've learned a little bit about inverted physics. Now we're going to do that, but just the way we are now. So instead of okay. bungee jumping down, we're going to use the same spring to go up. Okay. You know, and, and I think he's just using that as an object lesson. That's not arbitrary though either, because it's the idea of like you take what you need from this and you use it to move forward. That, that's how I, I read that. Now that I'm sure there may be a deeper explanation, but that's how I read it. The turnstile piece is the thing I'm most confused about. I'll be honest with you, Mike. And I've seen this movie several times now. And I think I've got it down now that like the idea of it, it does something to your radiation to invert you. So you can go backwards through the same thing that you know someone else is going forwards through. But I, I'm amused by the fact that you have to watch yourself leaving the other side of it. And I, I can't find any other explanation to that other than it, maybe it's just the the mental jog of like, okay, I made it out. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know why you would have people do that. But I, I do find it neat that those are placed in the places that we find them in this movie because we already have the magical MacGuffin of inverted entropy. But now to have like an actual thing that makes it happen, to have a DeLorean that you have to run through to do it is, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what you think of that. Cause it looks like a big bank, bank vault or something, but I, I don't know how it works. And the movie sure as hell doesn't explain how it works. It just <laughs> says that it worked. Yeah. I, and I don't need, I don't need an explanation how it works. I was just like, I was like, okay, so are they moving back into, cause we do get some fights of people moving forward and backwards, but it's like, it is and it isn't, we'll get to it. But, um, but this ne- like the next bit, like with Priya, we, we, we get to our, uh, our main, uh, I guess, and the, the villain of the movie Sador. And, yeah. and so we get this, this this subplot that it it took me some reading to really understand because there's a, a good significant portion of the film dedicated to this subplot of like infiltrating trying to get to cat the estranged wife yeah. who was an art appraiser who i think was sleeping with uh having an affair with a with a forger she falsely authenticated it and then uh, Sador bought the bought the forged art piece and is like from a repo. I think that yeah, I'm looking yeah. at the plot point now. A repo and and now he's using that as leverage over Cat as blackmail, what, and he killed a repo. Yeah, what what's funny about the whole Cat and Sador relationship is when we meet her, she is at a point where she is pissed at him because she's seen a woman she doesn't know diving off of a boat. And so she thinks he's cheating on her among all of his other sins. Like she could sort of overlook all that other junk, but that was the end when in fact, she's the one that is constantly cheating on him <laughs> and he knows it and he doesn't care because what is she going to do? You know, he's going to hurt his feelings. He's got a bigger plot and plan. And I, I don't know. I find that just interesting <laughs> that hey, she I would be so hung it. up on that. And, yeah. <laughs> but yet she is constantly doing it herself. I think I took it more that it's not so much like, Oh, he's having an affair. It's that, this other woman has so much like has quote unquote freedom to like jump yeah. off this boat. And, and like, she is like 
chained and she is yeah. jealous of the freedom that he's giving another woman. Yeah, that's a good but point. Another again, you know, I predicted that too. Just kind that of was her. like that was knowing her. that I'm like, okay, well, that's Neil. I'm like, yeah. I, mean, I think part. I, I think part of it is Elizabeth Debicki again in her in her height has a profile that is unmistakable. And so when you see that woman dive off the <laughs> boat, you're like, that's just you from another. Because we've already established like you can be in two places at once, kind of here. Like that's probably just you. Like I caught that too. I was like, that's that's just you. You're mad at yourself <laughs> or, yeah. or something. And so at one point though, I wondered. I'm like. Is that like a past version of herself? I didn't catch that. Oh, it's the future you. Yeah. That, you know, oh, until after you know we get through all this, we should talk about too that the turnstiles at the at the um, the airport that they they come up with, and that the the turnstile at the uh, the art place, the big fight that the protagonist gets in with the guy in the mask and all that, and the you know shooting at him and all that stuff. When you see that the first time through, you're like, holy cow, man, he barely got out of that alive. What you learn is that that's actually him going yeah. backward to make sure things work. And you watch it again and you realize he's not trying to shoot him. He's making sure he doesn't shoot him. Yeah, he's emptying he's all, the gun. Yeah, he's making sure he empties the gun and so that the guy can unload it. So he doesn't shoot him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so and he so, doesn't get the gun and shoot him. And so, yeah, so leading up to this, um, like the protagonist, I guess he meets Kat and the whole thing is, uh, and, and I do love, you know, Michael, Sir Michael Caine comes back for his little cameo, another yep. CIA operative. And like, this is that James Bond moment too, where it's like, okay, you got to get yourself a new suit. And Mm-hmm. But we get the funny banter between um, like the waiter and like uh, yeah, you can't have a to go box. <laughs> oh, can I? Can I get it? Well, he's like, oh, I'll get what he's having, and it's like, oh, and the, he clearly is the outsider here. And then it's like, well, you need to get yourself a new. Uh, and I guess he's Michael Caine is filling in like kind of those details of like, oh, the repo, you know, the Ford's art. He's using it, but like blah blah well, blah. Well, he he dropped he drops the most important piece of things is that there's been an explosion at a site that was used for underground testing explosions. And oh, they don't know why. Yeah, I missed that. And what and what you re- what you realize is that he's talking about the one that will be in the third act battle scene. So which happens on the same day as the Kiev Opera House thing. Yeah, like those, I missed that you, scene. The thing you got to know <laughs> is everything happens on the 14th. Like the 14th of what? We don't know, but everything happens on the 14th. That's of importance. Everything else is either leading up to that or in wake of it. But they're constantly trying to to handle things on the 14th. You know, and that's that's the thing that you just got to know. Now, again, I didn't catch that the first time through either. I've seen it a few times and I'm like, oh, he's talking about. And, you know, you just got to put that together. It is the big data dump. It's the Q scene in a lot of ways from Obama. But I liked it because, again, even if you don't catch all of that stuff, it's funny. It's a good break from the action. It's some good comedy. It's some good banter. And you also realize, like, as smooth as the protagonist is, he is way out of his league. He is not a billionaire playboy. He can't, you know, you know, play like that, which is always that's kind of a poke at the Bond movies, right? Is that Bond can always just slip in and out of all these rando situations like it's no big deal. And in reality, like, no, you can't. <laughs> and you don't know what you're talking about. And I mean, Kat sizes him up immediately. She's like, I don't know who or what you are, but this is not going to end well. It reminds me of like this, like the specifically in the in like the restaurant scene. It reminds me of like a more refined version of like Ferris Bueller's Day Off with yes. like with the yes. restaurant. Like it's almost yes. like oh, can I get that in a doggy bag or to go to go box? No, you can't. And it's I'm a little snooty, snotty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, you know what? It would it would have been great because Nolan is you know the king of like casting random eighties people. If he could have got that guy to do that scene, that would have been great. Yeah. Well. So and yeah, so I was too busy 
because I because I, I was understanding there's something to do with this like art piece, and then so I missed the line about the explosion. Um, so yeah, the, the art the art piece is that, that's the thing. Though, that, that's a, that's the good part of a good mystery is there's always information you don't need, and the whole art thing is a complete and total just you don't you don't even need to know it. What you need to know is where it is. And the fact that that art place has got all those defense mechanisms that Robert Pattinson is kind of unraveling for us on the tour. And that that's, what's important because what they realize is that the, that's not that security stuff is not there to protect priceless works of art. I mean, yeah, but you could just have a good lock on the door to pull that off. So you learn two things there. Neil can pick locks really good. And they've got something else they're hiding. What they're hiding is the is the inversion term style. Mm-hmm. That, that's what they they're looking for, and that's what they find as part of that. That's the important part. The art stuff is it's the way to connect cat into this. And honestly, it's a little bit of a loose thing, but it gives us two things about her to need to know. That is in control as she is in that moment. She tells her driver to leave, and he's like, "Nope, not until you see." Because what she thinks she's going to see is you know the protagonist thrown out in the street with you know with his head cut off. What she doesn't realize is that John David Washington wanted his hot sauce, damn it, and he was going to get it. And he, that's a great fight. Scene. Oh, man, with the cheese grater. My God. Yes. I, even I was like, oh, geez. I know. Yeah, my wife was like cringing at that. She's like, oh, God. And I was like, yeah. I said, but, you know, that, this is in the wake of John Wick and, you know, billions of Jackie Chan movies. And, you know, good action scene is a good action scene. I like that. I thought it was a good fight sequence. I thought the fights in this looked cool. And, and it's a lot of fun. And when he walks out of there in that suit, she has that look of like, huh, okay, maybe he's a little more than what I thought he was. Yeah. And I think Nolan has really stepped up the action. Like, and that's the thing, like, I was like listening to a few reviewers, they're saying they're claiming that action or that Nolan does action in like a very boring, like synthetic way. I completely disagree. I think, you know, Dark Knight. The trilogy is filled with great action. Inception is great action. Um, I, I definitely think Dunkirk has different types of action, but it's very enthralling. And I think all the fights here are really uh, detailed and uh, engaging. So yeah. I, I completely disagree that the uh, the like Nolan can't do action, especially when you're when you're spending like two hundred million dollars on a movie, you're going to get like the best of the best stunt coordinators to do this movie. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, and, and it, it's good stuff, but again, it's all a part of just driving us forward. Right. Cause what he's really trying to do is get to Seder at this point and through cat, he meets Seder and they go on that, that great sailing experiment. Right. Which that, that's probably the scene. I think most people have complained the most about, cause you can't freaking hear what anybody's doing or what they're saying. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you, I've watched it with subtitles. I've slowed it down, all that stuff. You don't need to know what they're yeah, doing. Yeah. I don't it think it's really important. It doesn't matter. What matters is the, the, the three actions that happen on that one cat tries to drown her husband. So she clearly that that's foreshadowing kids. Like she is going to kill this guy. Like you, you know, it's gotta be her. Yeah, burn in hell. Snip. Yeah. <laughs> yep. She is going to kill him to the protagonist realizes. Nope. It's not time yet. I got to have him saves him. Right. 
And he will go to extreme lengths to make that work because she tells him you can't turn the boat like that. And he said, well, it's going to have to do it now. So <laughs> we can reverse when we need to, you know, the idea mm, of okay. th- this guy can operate in environments he's not supposed to be able to because he's just that good. Like now you have to accept the part that he's just that good, you know, to be able to do it. It's the same thing that, you know, you put uh, a redneck kid in a car in Japan, he can eventually learn how to drift. You know, <laughs> it's, it's the same damn action movie trope and, and Nolan is playing with us with that. And I kind of think it's funny and, and I'm, I go with it. I think it's great because you get a great scene with Kenneth Branagh after that, where he basically explains how he got to where he is. He does the James Bond villain thing. He's like, I'm going to tell you everything you want to know he was digging up you know nuclear waste or whatever plutonium at his hometown and he found a box addressed to him from the future with a cache of gold that got him started mm-hmm. and you don't you don't need to know anything more about those people other than they picked him as their emissary for this you know algorithm piece yeah and and with that going back to the boat sequence if there's this thematic tie-in to like an action it's fine. Like I'll get it's it ties into the themes, it ties into the narrative. I'm like, whatever. He can he can it's his first time on the boat and he can just like whip it in reverse. But like you said, like, oh, we can reverse when we need to. It ties into this theme of you know the turnstile and, and like the reverse entropy and or inverted entropy and stuff like that. Um I want to go back real quick to the, the airport um scene. What do you think of the first like fight? Because this is like the first time we see two people fighting, one going quote unquote forward in time and backwards in time. I have to admit this was the one, as I said, like all the other two were predictable. I didn't see that this was him. I was thinking, no. who, who is this guy? And you get those really cool moments of, you know, you see the glass, like, oh, like the bullets, where, where did these come from? And then and then suddenly the the fight is both in reverse and forward. And, you know, he gets flung, he 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 like flies out of it. They grab. They're like, oh, do it everything. And I'm like, oh wow, this is like really a, a, a truly unique fight visual. Like the last time I feel like I had that like wow moment in an action sequence was the inverted um, hallway in Inception with yeah. zero gravity. And that and like that, I'm getting like strong vibes from this because I'm also like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, it's it's one of those things, honestly, I don't think entirely works because it's so off from what we are used to seeing. But if you if you kind of sit back and realize what's happening and a part of me, this is where I just geek out as a film nerd or whatever and go, they didn't just run that backward like they they were doing that in reverse. like they they stunned that out. That's an incredible feat. Like, the, like the, this movie won't get noticed for a lot of things because, you know, Hollywood and the award shows are just going to bang on it. They're not going to give it anything except maybe for the score, but but nothing else is going to get it. And it's definitely not going to get any sound editing uh, award nominations. <laughs> but this kind of fight scene and stuff is really moving ahead because even in the zero gravity inception, when everybody's still moving forward, you're still doing the stuff you could do. And that this is watching a man literally fight himself go with one of them going backwards the whole time. I mean, it's, it's a mind twist. The only thing about it, and, and I know why it's there, but I almost hate that it's there is when Robert Pattinson rips the yep. mask off the one guy and he gives him that long look. And then of course they reveal it later that he realizes like, Oh, that's the protagonist. And he throws him his mask back. He, he, when he first sees, it, he gives him this long look and you realize like, 
that's one of them. It's either himself or it's the, you know, the protagonist that he just revealed. Like they kind of blow that a little bit on that one. And I, uh, yeah, I, if I, I, if hate I that. was not in a fever state, I probably would have caught that. Cause that was probably around. Cause this was just like, so taxing on like, Oh yeah. Dude, I, I don't like, know how oh you would have watched god. this with a fever, man. Like you're a trooper for even trying. That. I was like, Oh my <laughs> god. But, um, so I missed that. But yeah. the other two, I like was, you know, sane enough to pick up on. But yeah, I really was into the scene. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to like talk about those two real quick. It's a, it's a great, I know it's a great fight scene. And and the both versions of it that we get to see are really cool. And, and when, yeah. when you see it the second time around, you, you now realize like they blow it for you. Like he's going to go fight himself. But you realize like, oh, this makes so much more sense now of why that was happening that way. Why the, the, the guy in the suit is doing the things he's doing. He's just trying to get by him, you know, and he, he's really, what he's really trying to do is make sure that everything goes down at the airport. Like it's supposed to, Yeah. you know, again, this is all about making sure everything gets to the 14th, the way it's supposed to, because two things that got to happen on the 14th, they got to, you know, uh, get the, the, uh, algorithm out of the blast site or whatever and they got to take care of the kiev opera situation all that's got to happen on the same day and that's i mean that's kind of wild to you know to blow your mind to think about it but that's what they're working around the entire time i think the one thing that i would have really liked for the the scene to make like the, for the fight to be a little bit better is if uh, the protagonist was like, cause this is the first time he's like, ever like interacted with someone going backwards. If he was he, not, even if it was just like a moment where he's like, they push each other away and there's a beat in the fight where he's seeing the guy respond, like he's moving backwards and, uh, and, he, and he's like, well, how do I fight this? Like him not thinking aloud, but just like responding to this, this guy moving backwards. And that would be also really interesting too, when you make that realization of like, he technically knows all the moves that is going to be thrown um, in that moment. And when you do realize how everything works in reverse, it almost makes the fight seem impossible. Like when you're like walking is and driving, it seems like impossible. Yeah. It's like, well, how are we doing this? Like really intense fight where it's almost, I wish that the reverse guy was like trying to get away as at any means possible. And then the guy going well, forward was that's like, the thing, that's the thing though. He is that that's what you realize. He's trying to do two things, make sure the gun gets unarmed. So, he, so that it, he doesn't shoot himself basically. And he's trying to, to make sure that he can get away. He's trying to get past him so he can get sucked out that door and get back to cat and, um, Neil, because what they've done, the reason they wind up back there, we should say, is <laughs> Seder interrogates his own wife and fires or pulls an inverted bullet back through her. So she has not only been shot, you know, but she is you know, the radiation is really screwing her system up. And they deduce that if they run her back through the inverter and then back around, that it'll reverse the radiation, which is that's some real good science right there that I don't understand. You've taken more of that than I have. So you tell me. But and they do they do drop yeah. that line of uh don't be shot with an inverted bullet. Whatever you do, it's like yeah. two things. Don't run into yourself. That's a little bit later. And don't ever be shot with an inverted bullet. And at first I was like, yeah. why? <laughs> yeah. Like it's, you're just getting reverse shot. Like, why does it matter? Um, it's, it's all, it's in the radiation. And, and that scientist explains it in the, in the early part, the one that we've theorized created all this stuff, right? She explains that like the radiation, it would just be so intense that it would, it would do more damage than just being shot. Um, 
she's not entirely right about that because Elizabeth Debicki should have disintegrated when that happened <laughs> and she doesn't, but we don't need her to. There's also, it leads into some other stuff about who she is and why Neil and her have a relationship that they seem to have and, and all this stuff too. But it gets us moving back because the reason they wind up back at that airport slot is because they're, they're going there to basically reverse her gunshot wound essentially because yeah. when they get out of there is when when they're on the boat going backwards by the windmill again in the in the ocean um and telling each other the story about they're going back to the 14th to to make sure you know she's going to kill Sater at the right moment after they you know get the algorithm and stuff we haven't talked about it what do you make of the algorithm device uh i was confused because from what i basic understanding i thought an algorithm was like computer based I think it is. I think it's just a. It, let's find a funny word and stick it on something. That's. Yeah. I honestly think that's all this is. So I was like, huh? Like, I, so that's where I was getting confused. Of like, well, how do we? Because they're saying, oh, in the future, they're sending gold back and they're sending these items back, which I took it as like, okay, this is like the bomb. When all these pieces mm-hmm. are assembled, they will like somehow form like the mega atomic bomb. That's how I was taking off my first viewing, but. I mean, what what it's sent to do, it, it, it you're, you're right, it is a bomb, all right? It, it's the bomb that will invert the entropy of the entire Earth. So the idea is, and this is where the movie gets a, a little bit in its head, is that whoever the people in the future are that have created and set all this in motion, right, and have got Seder doing what he's doing, which what he's doing is sending weapons to them, and they are sending inverted weapons back to him. So that's sort of floating around the, the universe as how those things exist is they want to reset the dial of the world because we, we haven't handled climate change the way we needed to, you know, we're all going to die out. So it's going to kill everybody, but it will reset nature so that, you know, presumably life can evolve and happen again. Right. So the, the grandfather paradox is like, we'll go ahead and kill our own selves with the one person we know who's psychotic enough to kill himself anyway, because he's already dying. That's the thing you learn about Seder is he's got inoperable cancer. He's going to die anyway. And he's such a selfish bastard that he figures I'll take everybody with me. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they just found their, their villain to pull it off for him, but that's what the algorithm is supposed to do is reset the entropy of the world to where everything goes in reverse and all people die. I think it's interesting too when they explain like the grandfather paradox because there's two there's two things that come up I th- I think uh, definitely when th- um the protagonist says well it's like well if we're having this conversation we clearly succeed and right. and I think Robert Pattinson says, some, says something like oh forget about it like what happens happens and, yeah. and is this a moment too when they kind of I don't know if I'm making this up but if they bring up like like there's always a first time there's always like the first mm-hmm. timeline and then from then like not like there's it's just like a repeating loop i've always I, tried to think of time yeah. travel movies like that like like the first terminator movie i mean you could again you could start pulling at those strings but when we see the first terminator movie or like the first back to the future movie we are seeing that first established timeline and then everything from there is just a repeated loop when right. um what is it twin uh the the twin pine mall becomes a, the, the lone the, pine, the mall. Lone pine yeah. mall or let, let me give you a theory of just stepping on the terminator for just two seconds i think what we see in the first terminator movie is actually the third time it's happened because it it makes more sense if you think about that there was an existence where john connor becomes aware that there are things like terminators and they're going to go assassinate my mother so that happens at some point so to prevent that from happening he's like well i'm going to send somebody back 
to stop it. And then there's a, the version of it we see is where that person that he sends back, Kyle Reese is not only just sent back on a blind mission, he's sent back with a purpose. And John Connors realizes this guy's actually going to be my father. I can't tell him that because it'll freak him out. So I'm going to make him fall in love with my mother and the idea of my mother before I send him back. And then what we see is the third time through. So anyway, that's a whole side conversation about Terminator, but but you're right. It's a constant loop. The The line that you nailed there, though, is the one that you, you really, to get this movie, you need to listen to Neil. What's happened, happened. Like, we're not changing anything. We're making sure that all of this stuff happens because obviously they succeed because the world isn't gone, right? The, the thing never fires. The algorithm never works. You know, they never get it totally together. We just need to make sure that happens. I can't explain to you beyond that, but I, what he's trying to say is like, we just going to make sure that all the things that lead us up to this point happen. Because if any one of them get out of order, then we start creating new timelines and we don't know how that works, but we just know that on the 14th, that explosion happens. And that explosion in that old test site is where they bury the algorithm that they're going to fire. And when Seder dies, which was presumably sometime right after that, that that's you know that's when the dead man switch goes off and it, it does it. So if we know that, then we can intercept it at that moment. That's that's what Neil is saying is what happened happened, and we already know that that happened, and that's why I'm here to make sure that all of those things happen again. Because from that moment on, and and it's all in the very end when they say the whole thing is what they call the temporal pincer movement, which in military just means attack from both sides. It's just a fancy thing. This is attack from both sides through time, which is a little heady, but go with it. If you will, this whole movie is just that to make sure the protagonist creates tenant, because this is the moment from which he does it. You got You got to yeah, make sure you create, you got to make sure you create your own self. I mean, that's what happens. Yeah. My head does definitely hurt. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's definitely very based in like predeterminism. Like, and I think even the protagonist drops a line of like, well, yeah. what about free will? And I think they like, qualify it in some way oh, she, she does yeah the whole bit about like you know uh, he puts his hand over a bullet and nothing happens and she tells him imagine that you dropped it and so he does and then it flies back up in his hand it's an inverted bullet and he you know he's like how does that work with free will and she said it wouldn't have done anything if you put your hand over it like you had to make the choice to interact with it you know so so there is some bit of choice but this movie is very much in the idea that there's a predetermined fate to everything you have choices that you will make that will influence your experience with it. But what's going to happen happens. Say <laughs> so that you don't control everything. And I think that's what this movie in its largest theme is. There's a group of people somewhere who want to reset the world. And what I think Nolan is telling us is like, even with all the crazy stuff you can do, you can invert bullets and people and all this stuff, all that power, right? And have all that kind of resource and money and all that stuff. You can't reset something that you didn't create. And I, th- I don't think he's not really making a religious statement more than just a, you're not as in control as you think you are, you know? And, and I mean, yeah, that's a simple way of looking at the movie, but that's, I, I mean, that's the central theme here is that there's a predetermined fate to everything. How your experience with it depends on which hands you put over which bullet, you know, but what's going to happen is going to happen. Yeah. And I think before we get into that, that temporal uh, pincer movement or that whole strategy, what did you think about when we, uh, when the protagonist goes through the turnstile and everything's Mm -hmm. in reverse? I think that's a very 
it's a very interesting moment because we did get some uh, moments kind of hinting at it when like right before uh, Kat got shot, you know, we, we, we were also told, which doesn't really go anywhere, but it's like, oh, it, before you go into a turnstile, look, look to your left and make sure you come out. And like, well, what happens if you don't come out? Well, then something happens in there that makes that means you don't come out. But that doesn't really go anywhere. No, <laughs> it's, I, again, it's, a, it's a cool I, idea, but it doesn't yeah. go anywhere. I think I think that's more of a just a psychological thing of like, if you see yourself come out of the other side, then you'll know what you that you that you made it. So it's it's like um, if Brundle could have seen himself transport before he actually did it and had noticed the fly in the teleporter, he wouldn't have got in. It's, it's just mm-hmm. a safety measure. I don't know. Um, I, I, that's how I read it. Um, I, I, we were talking about the two versions of the car chase scene. First off, the first the going forward version of that, how they pin the cars in with the fire trucks and all that cool shit and the BMW, that's awesome. That's a great scene. It straight out cool. of Batman movies. Yeah, it, to- it totally is a straight out of a Batman movie, straight out of a Bond movie. Straight, it's actually straight out of a Fast and Furious movie too, because it's a <laughs> Fast and Furious heist. But but I, I loved it. I thought it was cool to now see that the car that it flips over in front of them, that they throw the box across the, halfway in the trailer. It. Yeah. Well, but even in the scene, they throw the box across, they're going to you know, give the thing to Seder so that he doesn't kill his wife or whatever at that, at that moment um, to know that the protagonist is actually in driving the inverted car that they do that across. And it's because what, what you now know is that they actually throw the box one way and they throw the, the piece the other way so that Seder doesn't get it. It's neat to see it play out both ways. This is the cool thing about this movie. This movie really only happens around like nine instances. You just see them from both sides. Mm-hmm. And, and this is what makes it fun to watch is go like, oh, yeah, that makes it. So it's almost like a return to momento in a lot of ways. Yep. Um, it's it's much more complicated. It has a lot more convoluted science quote <laughs> to it, but it, it's the same idea as you're watching the same scene with new information going the other direction. And I don't know. I, I thought it was cool. I like I mean. The physics don't make any sense, but I like the fact that he has to kind of adjust to driving because it's all backwards, technically, you know, from it's, what he normally yeah, would And do. it's also really establishing here, like, okay, whenever you have an oxygen max on, you're inverted. Exactly. If you're in any – because one complaint that I was seeing was, oh, when are they moving forward? When are they moving backwards? And I'm like, well – and like, I caught right away, like, when they were in the um, – uh, the uh, the shipping container. It's like oh, there's yeah. plastic on the walls. It's because it's an ice. It's an isolated its own yeah. environment pumping oxygen in. Um, yeah. I also really like the idea of oh, like fire is actually going to be reversed. It's actually you're going to get hypothermia if you yeah. catch on fire, which which is which happening. is hilarious and stupid, but it's also kind of fun. Yeah, I'm like about. oh, that's pretty neat. Like <laughs> what? Like how can you sit there? And what, like, you, you see the protagonist's car flip and you see a reversed uh, Sador try and blow him up. And then you see the, like, you see the flames and then they immediately get chilled. It's and then frosted. it's like, oh, and then he wakes up and it's, oh, you had hypothermia. And I'm like, oh, that's fun. Yeah. Like, that's a really neat idea. It, it, it is fun. And, and when we're back in that shipping container, I want to ask you what you, how you read this. Neil is taking care of Cat who at that point has been shot with the inverted bullet. They've gone through the, the turnstile to basically invert her. And then they're going to go through the turnstile because they're going backwards to the airport to go back through the other side of it so that she can go forward again, but she will be healed by that process essentially. So I don't double x-rays. I don't know, but whatever. So they're doing that. And Neil is like paying a lot of attention to this woman that he has no connection to that. He doesn't care. How do you read that? Why is he so attentive to her? 
so I know where you're get. I know what you're getting at. At first, I just thought he, it's like it's very much like the predeterminism. Like mm. this is who she is. I know who she is. We like she's very critical in our entire mission. So she ha- like she has to survive. But you're right. It's very. It goes a step beyond of just like very clinical. Uh, like you need to survive, you know, it, it seems like it's coming from a place of familiarity. So, and I know exactly what you're getting at. So I don't know if you, if you want to go over that yeah, now. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, I didn't come up with this on my own. I asked myself this the second time I saw it. I'm like, is he the kid that she keeps picking up from school? The son that, that we see who's maybe 10 or 12, you know, that we see in this movie and, will be in the future, be recruited to be intended by a much older protagonist. Is that who Neil is? And then I was like, nah. And then I went down the rabbit hole of the internet, you know, the other day. And I was like, Oh, apparently a lot of people think this, and I, this is going to be like, does the top turnover or not? Nolan will never tell us. I'm, I'm sure, but I can see it. And the, they did a lot of, and this is me again, reading a lot from this, but when they were pairing people up for press toury stuff, they put DeBecky and Pattinson together a lot. And I was like, you know, those two characters don't have any other connect, any other reason <laughs> to be connected to each other other than she's crucial to the mission. He's way more involved than that. That's his mom. I, I really think that's it. I think, I think Neil is Max. I, I, Cause again, why would he give anybody a real name? You know yeah. I mean? It's, you know, and I, I don't know. I just kind of, I kind of read it that way. I think, I think that's, that's certainly there if you want to take it from there. I, I I like the theory. I think there's a lot of substance to it. And even if it's not true, I still think it, it adds more emotion to like yeah. that scene and, and 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 I think it adds more characterization to Neil. Because he yeah. he uh he's not very like I mean he's not like an emotionless robot. Like he he like has playful banter, like he actually like I think and that's the the charisma that Robert Pattinson brings to the character of Neil. So I, I do really dig because i didn't i didn't catch that like i was i think i was i was uh listening to podcasts and reading like theories and i was like oh i really like that idea i mean it it works too if you think about the two things that really that's based around when we first meet cat or see her picking up her son from school it's it's the protagonist watching from a car and the way it's shot you assume he's in the front seat what you're actually watching is the very last scene we see where he has shot Priya because he's mm-hmm. tying up loose ends and her bodyguard who were there to try to kill a uh, uh, oh, cat. cat. Yeah. I try to kill cat. And, and he, one of the last things he does to the cat is he gives her this flip phone, which is a total nod to Nolan who doesn't do smartphones uh, is just dial that number and just say a place and you'll be taken care of. And what it is, it's a hotline to him, you know, to make sure that she's okay. And, she feels like she's being watched and she was. And what you realize is that he's watching her from the back seat of that car. And it's like, huh? So is this the moment now that we're past the 14th? So we know we're past that big moment. Is this when he goes to her and, you know, because she is presumably gets all of Sater's billions, you know, after he dies or whatever. Disappears or. Yeah. Or what, or, or yeah. However, however that goes. Is that how he builds tenant? Maybe. I, I mean, it works if you want it to be there. If you don't, if you just want to say Neil's just trying to make sure that what happens happens, that works too. But I, I don't know. I, I I had that in my head and dismissed it. And then I saw it again, just trending throughout the, the internet. And I thought, okay, 
I can buy that. That I think, but I do think that's going to be the is the top, you know, falling over or not. And Nolan's answer will always be, "Does it matter?" And, and that's probably how it's going to go. So, I yeah, yeah. And I think that's that also starts bringing up like the interesting points. Like they mentioned it earlier, like uh, like oh, how do they know all these things happen? It's like, well, they have records, they have texts, they have emails, yeah. they have all these written records, and. And I think Priya is really the one that's like, we have to cancel all loose ends. Once a person yeah. serves their purpose, we have to cut them out. Cause they know, like if they know about yeah. tenant, then they know about everything and they're just a loose end. That's how yeah. I interpreted that. No, and, completely. Yeah. And so like that kind of the, you know, that, you know, you mentioned the cell phone and stuff, but I guess we can now start to talk about the temporal pincer movement. This, this like incredibly, unique and totally bizarre sequence in in a movie that can only happen in I think in a Christopher Nolan movie yeah <laughs> when we've built up to this this moment of we have I mean okay yeah the pincer movement and military attacking from both uh what both flanks but here since it's the temporal pincer movement we are attacking in both forwards in time and backwards in time. So, so the only way I know how to explain this, Mike, is, is what they are there to do. Is And the character of Eve lays this out. Aaron Taylor Johnson in this, by the way, interesting choice. I feel like this was a role written for Tom Hardy, and then he's too big for it. Or maybe he had something else going on. It, it kind of feels like something Tom Hardy would do, because... Aaron Taylor Johnson's a lot of things, and I know he's been in Kick-Ass, but that's action, Aaron Taylor. That's Aaron, Aaron Taylor. Johnson. That is Aaron Taylor Johnson. Wow, action military star. <laughs> that's man. crazy. That's, it's also Fiona Dourif on the other side leading the inverted team. You don't <laughs> know that because she's got a face on, but it's her eyes. She turns around one time. I'm like, "Is that?" And I looked it up, and I was like, "Ha, ah, I knew it was." So, because I mean, Brad Dourif and his daughter have a face that you just can't miss. Anyway, um. So yeah, Aaron Taylor Johnson is the military leader here doing what again what I would call the Tom Hardy role in the Christopher Nolan movie. And aside from his performance of it, what he explains makes the most sense is this all is bullshit. Like it is just <laughs> it is just a smokescreen so that Sater hears there's an explosion at this site, which the explosion is supposed to bury the algorithm. That's supposed to be his cue to I can now kill myself. And set the dead man switch off. And in other words, I'm burying it so deep that there's no way they'll find it in time. They're going to stage that building explosion, which happens in two stages. One time it gets, you know, kneecapped. The other time, the top of it gets blown off because that's Christopher Nolan doing weird stuff. All practical effect, by the way. Very, very cool thing to see. But they are doing that as a complete diversion because the point is those teams are supposed to do that. And then Eve's and the protagonist are supposed to go get the algorithm. And then they're supposed to kill each other. Like that's that Eve's tells him that it's like, I didn't want to have to kill a lot of people to rescue this thing. I figured the two of us could take care of each other. In other words, we're going to make sure this thing doesn't go off. We'll break it apart and we'll kill each other and we'll be buried in there with it, but it won't be complete. So they can never set it off. That's the idea. That's, that's what's supposed to happen in this plans go awry because stuff gets changed. And because Neil again, knows you need to unlock that door. Neil unlocks the door for him. So Neil is on the inverted team and reverses himself halfway through this thing without changing his armband. So we don't know it necessarily so that he can go unlock the door for them. He gets shot in the face because so Neil, Neil dies, spoiler alert, um, at the end of this to save the protagonist. 
so he can kill the guard, get the algorithm, and then him and Eves get driven out by the other Neil going on. So that that's what happens. That's the best I can try to explain that third act because it, otherwise it's really confusing. But the thing you need to know about the military movement is it's all a smokescreen. None of that matters. Yeah. Just, yeah. It, it's all about what happens underground. Yeah. And I think that's like a really interesting moment when like they, uh, they call up Sador, uh, you know, trying, I, I think they're like trying to plead with him. Like, you're not, or you're not going to get away with this. And, and it's interesting though, when yeah. you see that body just right on the ground, and then, and then he stands up, and and that's when it it um, I think it's interesting. Like the big henchman, he looks confused when the body stands, even though he sees him there. But he looks confused, pulls the trigger, and then you know everything starts working in reverse. And I was like, oh, th- when when Neil is driving the truck, I'm like, oh, he's driving. Somehow this is going to play out perfectly. And then I got confused with like, he gets shot in the face and he runs backwards. Cause you see that little talisman, but then they drop the wire sound. I'm like, Oh wait, how did, how is Neil doing that? If he got shot in the face? Cause remember he's, he's inverted. So he's well, going backwards yeah. to go get shot in the face. Yeah. And then, and then when he's walking away at the end, I was like, Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. He, he reversed himself because he knew I needed to drag those guys out of there. And I mean, he's kind of rolling the dice on that because at some point he's like looking at his countdown watch going, ah, screw it. And he just hits the gas. He's like, I hope you guys are on the other end of those lines because I got to go. Yeah. And, I mean, and he, and he was, but he, on one hand, like the oh, screw it line is kind of funny, but it's also kind of ridiculous. He's like, well, obviously he knows that works. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause yeah. I mean, it, adding just, tension to a scene where it's just funny. It's Robert Pattinson and, and it comes off like, it's okay. You know, you, you go with it. But the thing you got to know is that, Neil was was on the inverted team and reversed himself to go do the driving part, but his mission was to unlock that door because Neil's the guy that is the best lock picker. Like we've established that the protagonist sucks at it. Like maybe he breaks the lock pick in in one of the places where they're trying not to you know get stuff to hold their breath and he yeah exactly. he has to fix it for him. So so Neil knows that I'm the only one that can unlock that that gate for him. So I'm going to go make sure that my inverted self can go take that shot, unlock that gate, and you know then make sure that yeah, he's out of there. The I really of and I really do like that moment too when the protagonist realizes like Neil is this dude from the beginning that's been saving his ass, yes. and he and he wants to desperately tell him, but Neil turns around and says. Like it's all good, man. Like you've already told me. Like, yeah, I mean, you've, to- you've told me. I know what I'm doing. Like, like what is the beginning of a friendship for you? Is the end of a long friendship for me? And I and yeah. I really like think that's like such a poignant moment when he just is like, you know, what happens happens, man. And and he's clearly had time to reconcile his fate and his and his role in all of this. And I love how he just kind of says like, oh, I'll see, like I'll see you when I see you. Or, like, yeah. or it's like, oh, I won't, but like you will. Like, I, I just love that, yeah, well, well, that the, interplay. It, it also leads back to that theory of he's actually Sater and and Cat's son, Max, is that he he questions him twice on, are you going to go check up on on Cat? Nope. And you know, he knows he's lying because why well, tell the truth there? It's like, not even from afar. Yeah, <laughs> and what is he doing at the end? He's checking up on her from afar. It's like, he knows. Like, And that's why you can deduce it. Like at that moment is when he drives up by him going, need a ride? You know, and then that's when they, you know, go off to start tenant together or whatever. I, I could see that as being the, that moment, but it, it, you're right. It's, it's totally poignant and it totally works because Pattinson and John David Washington give us a lot to work with in that scene. Cause it, you can tell it's heavy on, on the protagonist. Like he's like trying to come to terms with all of this crap. 
and he's also just been told by Eves, if I ever see you again, I'll kill you. And that's the one person in the movie that probably could do it. So, you know, you got that hanging over you. And he also realizes that the guy that saved his ass the whole time is dead and it's gone, but he's is left with the comfort of like, but I get to live that life that we've had now. I'm like, now this is the beginning of all of that. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a mind bend, but it's kind of fun to think about too. So um, I, I don't know. I, I, I thought the end was cool, man, again, because the first time I watched it, I was like, this is just the coolest, weirdest action scene I've ever seen, you know? And then when I realized like, and it doesn't friggin' matter at all. Like that, that, that's the fun part of, it's almost like the Ocean's Eleven moment, right? Where they do all of that stuff about the blowing up the vault and all that. And you realize like they were never even friggin' there. They were just playing a videotape and walking out the front door with the money. Yeah. It's that moment. And it's not like an annihilist, like it doesn't matter. Like it's just like, no, just like, no. No, it's a distraction. It. It's a yeah, good distraction. It's, yeah. It's, and, and I was like, yeah. And at this point, like I, I definitely, was I, I definitely really was gone with the movie, and then we get the whole you know they kill Sador and with a lot of sunscreen, uh, <laughs> pushing him off. The, well, oh man, when he falls off the boat, oh that's brutal, brutal. Yeah. When he just like yeah. his face smacks into the side and just like yeah. belly well, flop, well, he's dead. Square in the chest anyway, so he's probably dead. But I mean, but, that but definitely just did. seeing the impact, you're like, oh my well, god! And then they pull it, him it, away, and it's also the second time Cat's basically drowned him. Like, you know, she tried to do this before and, and it had to be her. Like you knew it had to be her to make that moment. And I've seen, I've seen a lot of criticism, Mike, about people going like, Oh, you know, she's, she's just a woman who's either spurned or she's a mother. That's all she is in this movie. And I'm like, Hey, y'all are missing it with this woman. She is finally realizing that the thing she wanted most was that freedom bit that we talked about earlier of that other woman. And she realizes I am that other woman. You know, I'm going to take my own freedom. I'm going to wait somebody to give it to me. And I, I liked it. I like that she jumped the gun because she she says to him, I knew you'd find a way. You know, yeah. somehow I knew you'd find a way, which again leads the idea to like, she would definitely be somebody that he could use the funding for to build something like Tenet in the future from because she would trust him. And yeah. she obviously does. And I, I don't know. I, I liked it. I thought Elizabeth DeBecky was awesome in that scene. Uh, I think Kenneth Branagh is doing a total evil bond villain and i i saw him on good morning america before they even seen the movie and he he said that christopher nolan told him there's absolutely nothing redeemable about this guy so don't bother trying to find that in the character <laughs> he is awful and he's the most evil thing in the movie and i want you to play it like that so that every time he's on the screen people are scared of him Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know what? He did a pretty good job. Like Kenneth Bonner would be an awesome Bond villain. Too bad he'll never get the chance now because he's done this. He would have <laughs> been a good Bond villain. Yeah, yeah. It, and yeah, I definitely thought it all like definitely worked in the end. So I and and, you know, the whole thing of, oh, I thought he, he doesn't the protagonist say something along the lines of like, oh, I thought you were the you were the creator, like the Priya, like, oh, you I thought you were the creator, but it's actually me. I'm yeah. I think he even says, like, I'm the protagonist or something like that. Yeah. Like yeah. he spells it out for anyone that wasn't following it. He <laughs> says, I'm the create like I'm the guy. Yeah. And then well, he, he says to her earlier on in the mission, I'm the protagonist moving this thing along. And at the end, he reminds her like, no, remember, I'm the protagonist, not you. You don't get to call these shots. I do. And th that's why he's tying up the loose ends. It's pretty brutal, too. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a, I mean, he just shoots this guy and the woman in the back of the head, man. It's pretty, pretty rough. But this is the decisions you got to make if you're going to run an operation like Tenet, right? 
Yeah, exactly. But yeah, and that I guess that concludes the film tenant. Uh, I have to say, I definitely have a much better appreciation for this movie after, especially just like talking about it with someone, which I think is Nolan films is you, you have to talk about them. They're not exactly something that you just watch and you're like, Oh, that was okay. And then you just like walk away from it. I don't think all of them are like that. I I think he's got a few that lend themselves to be discussed and viewed again and again. And then there's some you just watch and it's there, you know, and it it is what it is. But this is one of the, I would say the four of his that you definitely want to have a, like, if you really want to get into it, it's fun to have a conversation with somebody about it. Like what we've just had, like we have with inception where you can talk about it. So like the four, I would say that are like that are are tenant inception, um, interstellar and well, it's five then the prestige and memento. I actually would take interstellar out of that because I actually feel like that movie totally explains itself to you. If you just wait for it, memento prestige inception and tenant are meant to be, but is that what that meant? And kind of, you know, chewed on a little bit, whereas the others are a little more straightforward. Yeah. And so you, you mentioned that you, uh, I, I didn't ask you to do this, but you said you, you ranked Nolan's films. I didn't, but I have them pulled up so I can, I can try and do a quick, a quick version, um, yeah. of, uh, what my rankings would be. Yeah. I, to, to do mine real quick, I, Dark Knight Rises to me is 10th and it's not that it's a bad movie. I just don't think it's as good as anything else on the list. I put Insomnia Ninth. I happen to kind of like that movie. It's a remake of of another film. Um, Robin Williams doesn't entirely work in it. Neither does Pacino. Hilary Swank's actually really good in it, but it's it's got stuff that's okay, but it's not great. I put Prestige Eighth, and I happen to like the Prestige a lot, but I just don't think it entirely works. You know, it's as good as some of the other stuff, but it's definitely one where if you were going up the list, like that's the first one you start having conversations about. I put Batman Begins Seventh because I feel like the back half of that movie is way better than the front half of that movie, uh, and and that's why it kind of rescues itself because the first thirty minutes of it, it's like, yeah, this is horrible uh interstellar i put right in the middle at six i think it's one that is going to be hard to follow if you don't really dig into the science of it uh but if you just watch it as a father trying to communicate with his daughter it's a little sappy and i think Anne hathaway is terrible in it um, <laughs> so that's a quick review of interstellar i put dunkirk fifth i think that movie's brilliant uh, it's really good. It's not as good as 1917, but it's really good. And it's definitely worth seeing. I put Memento fourth because that's the one where it kind of all started. And I, it it lends itself in a lot of his other films. I put Dark Knight third because that movie is Christopher Nolan doing an incredible remake of Heat uh, from Michael Mann. And I love Heat. Uh, so I love the Dark Knight. I put 10 at second. Um, I think I do think it's his second best film. And I think it'll stand that test over time. Um I, Inception to me is the best thing Christopher Nolan's done. It's probably the best thing he'll ever do. I don't think he'll ever have anything as original as that. But yeah, I put ten in the in the two spot now. Maybe that's a little recency bias. Ask me in three years, and I may change that up. But I I put a little thought into that. So yeah, I, I rank them that way. I put Inception one and ten at two. Interesting. I think just looking at his IMDb, if I were to quickly rank these, I'd probably go uh, Insomnia at the at tail end for like at ten. Uh, Dark Knight Rises, uh, The Prestige, Batman Begins, uh, probably. Uh, did I say Bat- Batman Begins? Um, let's see. Uh, that leaves you with Interstellar, Dunkirk, Memento, Dark Knight, Tenet, and Inception. Did I say The Prestige? Already? Yeah, you did. Okay. Yeah, Prestige pretty well where I did. 
Yeah, so I, I would probably say for number five, it would be Tenant. I think Tenant is right in the middle for me. It's not like my favorite, but it's definitely not like the worst. I, I would I would equate Tenant to something like like for me, like with Tarantino, I'd say this is like the hateful eight like it's like it's like yeah. smack dab in the middle it's not it's 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 like a very competent like enjoyable film but it's not like i don't think it's his best but it's certainly not his worst um i would probably say interstellar did i say interstellar yet okay so that would be four uh i think inception three dark knight two and i think memento is his best film i i just absolutely love the way and i probably said this in inception too but i just i just love the way memento sucks you in yeah. and it's it's complex enough that it makes you think about what's going on and it, and it has that like whoa moment at the end but it's not like overly complex like tenant where tenant i have to admit like it is convoluted and and points but the the themes and the narrative and like how those tie like i'm literally doing the tenant symbol like how those <laughs> tie in together and form this movie of tenant it it's that's what's redeeming about it but i just feel like memento just is very it's not that it's straightforward but it's not as convoluted in that and you can easily yeah. follow it and you can have those whoa moments so that's my quick list uh, yeah. um, of, of Nolan films, but, um, but yeah, can, a tenant is like just smack dab in the middle. And I can hear you. And I think that's totally fair. I mean, again, I think it's, it's, it's like, um, you know, ranking your favorite albums from your favorite groups or something like that, you know, wh- where you put them, they're all really good. It's, you know, it's where do I want them to be on the list? I just think that this one had it come out in a different time. I wonder if the criticism would be, the same. I still think it would, some of it would still be there. Cause I do think there's times when this movie tricks you into thinking it, it wants to be smarter than it really is. When what you realize is much like the temporal pincer movement, it's all just a smoke show to get to the, the bottom theme of it. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know if you know, we'll never know that for sure. I do think it'll be neat to see in five and 10 years when people kind of go back and they talk about Nolan's stuff, where this one falls. And I'd be interested to see how I feel about it too. And, you know, after he's done a couple more movies and stuff and, you know, no idea what the guy is going to do next uh, because his relationship with Warner brothers is not exactly in good places right now. <laughs> not just because he lost them a lot of money, um, but because, I mean, they, they could write that off as COVID, you know, like everybody else is right now. It's more of a, he doesn't agree with their release strategy. So we'll see where he winds up, but um, you know, Spielberg broke up with his uh, first studio too, and it all worked out. Okay. So we'll, we'll see where it comes out with Nolan, but um, I I'm curious to see what he decides to do next because he's done two big action movies in a row. Now, um, you know, interstellar had a lot of drama to it, but Dunkirk and this is a slog to try to shoot something like that. I'll be curious to see what he, what he comes up with next. If he goes smaller or if he goes bigger. I, I'm hoping he goes smaller. I'm hoping he does something uh, like that's akin to like the master, you know, something that's like a very interesting character study or like of just two people. And you can even like Paul Thomas Anderson shot it in you know 70 millimeter. You can shoot it on IMAX cameras. You can get these sweeping landscapes at, like the master. And uh, I, I hope it's something akin to that. Can Nolan, but the problem is, can Nolan write the dialogue between two people that make it an interesting way? Cause I think he's very, yeah. 
uh, what's the word? Not not synthetic. Not it's very. There's a cold economical with with yeah. his dialogue. It, it's, yeah. it serves the purpose of moving the plot forward, as opposed to you know these I, like really deep character studies of of nuance of language. But I think if he brings another, like if he gets an idea and a concept of like this is what I want, and he brings d- screenwriters on that that like are really good with this, uh, not necessarily like an Aaron Sorkin or anything like that. Like I think those styles don't mesh super well. But like if he can bring I, a really good sc- screenwriter, I think he can make it work. Well, the answer is already there. He just needs to team back up with his brother, Jonathan Nolan. Writes good dialogue, like he really does. And and I know he's got his own stuff that he's doing or whatever. But it would be neat to see them team back up. And work together. Um, I think the one thing you'll know for sure is he's going to find interesting composers. He's going to find good cinematographers. And I kind of hope he goes with some of these same people again. I would love to see him work with Pattinson again and DeBecky mm-hmm. again. And uh, I mean, he's already worked with Bronner twice. I, John David Washington, I think we could, I mean, he said he would totally be down to do another Nolan movie. I mean, he's the one out there going like, I hope there's a sequel to this. I and mean, they're <laughs> talking about that. I don't know that that'll happen. But I, I would love to see him do something else with him and in a different kind of role, you know, and, and you know, flip it a little bit. It would, it would be fun. Um, on, on the note of Bond villains, by the way, if we don't figure out how to make Robert Pattinson a Bond villain sometime in, in my lifetime, I'm going to be real disappointed because we've had two really lame ones now and we need a good one. And, and <laughs> I, I, I need him to be a good. I think he would be a good Bond villain personally. I think he could be a good bad guy. Uh, he doesn't get casted that often, but uh, I think he could do it. Yeah, Robert Pattinson is like I said at the beginning. He's like definitely had uh he's definitely str- like distanced himself from, you know, the Edward Cullen if that's I think that's his name or, yeah, or like the, the Twilight Harry, stuff or yeah. like the Harry even the Harry Potter stuff uh yeah. which was a step in the right direction, but he's, you know, for me what sold him as like a fantastic actor was the lighthouse oh, yeah. Robert Eggers like yeah. that to me like I was like okay he's he's definitely got some ch- chops like good time and you know all those other like side indie projects but I definitely think the lighthouse for me solidified him as like okay he's not a kid anymore no. not that he's been a kid for a while but it's like he's you know he's shed that image um, yeah and that's hard to do I mean it's hard for like the teen idol to shed that off look at the Harry Potter folks i mean that you know a lot of them are still working to shed that most of a lot of them are not even in acting anymore emma watson really more is in activism mm-hmm. and, and you know charity work and things like that and good for her uh but you know rupert grant will always be obviously and i think he's kind of embraced that but you know he isn't getting a ton of work and uh, you know you, you see some of them here and there but it takes a while to get out of stuff like that but th- that's the other side too i tell people all the time like if you think Kristen stewart is bella swan like you haven't watched her like she can act and she can act in really interesting, dark and funky ways. And she can also be really funny. Um, but I, I, yeah, I would love to see Nolan do something with them. Um, I think the thing that's probably next for him, if I could just wish something for him, because he hasn't done it yet, uh, would be to have a female lead you know, okay. and, and have a female lead that could drive a story, whether that's to Becky or, or anybody else he wants to work with. Um, I think that would be kind of fun to see what he does with it. Um, I don't know if he wants to, yeah, I don't know. If you know, I can fantasy book his next, you know, three movies. That would be something I'd love to see him try to do. But the the bottom line of this is, I think Tenet is a really, really good movie, and I think it's it's one that can give you a huge headache if you want it to, um, or you can just watch it for what it is. And I mean, again, I, I'm not a smart person. I watched this movie and I didn't miss probably half the dialogue, but I got it. I got what happened at the end because the movie will tell you in its quiet moments away from all the noise, this is what it's about. 
all this has happened. We need to make sure this has happened. This is going to happen. Eh, you know, that's, that's, that's tenant. Yeah. And, and those seem to be like your closing thoughts. What, what would you rank or like, I mean, obviously number two, but like out of 10, uh, what would you give uh, tenant? Uh, probably like an eight and three quarters, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. It's not perfect by any means, but it's really, really good. If I was doing it on film strip, I would give it a large popcorn because I think, I think it's, it's worthy of that. It's not perfect. It's not the best thing he's ever done, but I think it's right up there. It's definitely in the top three. And right now I've got it in the two spot. So, yeah. Yeah. And so I guess with my closing thoughts, like the one thing, like I talked about this with Brian and I mentioned like the one thing, regardless of like how you feel about Nolan's work and, or like how it's progressing as a filmmaker, he is always trying to push the barb of his filmmaking. He's always going bigger and badder and, and just trying to like really attack these concepts, even taking something as simple as uh, telling the story of Dunkirk, you know, he took an idea that of like a moment in history and he told it in an interesting way using time manipulation and, and telling the story of just like, of just like of, of, of like a human story. And, and I think that's very interesting and because like the premise of Dunkirk is simple, but like the filmmaking is very complex. And, you know, as you like, you could start from his, his first film from following and then just move all the way up. And just like the, the difference of quality of filmmaking, the concepts, just the ambition is, you know, compare following the tenant. It's oh, yeah. It's, night it's and a complete day. progression. Now, yeah. It's, it, and it's amazing that you can see that progression. So I, do respect Nolan for doing that. Always pushing the bar, always trying to push the concept. He's, he is, like I said, a big proponent of he's the Spielberg and the Kubrick. He's the in-between. He He's trying to make these big blockbusters, but he's also trying to make people think about his films. He's trying to make people return to them. He's trying to make the, uh, and I can respect that. He's like, this is the movie that's going to bring people back. And I can respect that, that he wants like average moviegoers to think about film in a way that they're maybe they're not really akin to like, you know, no offense to Marvel, but they're not you're, you're not exactly thinking deep about the, the meanings of superheroes. You're you're like you no. can talk about the characters and stuff, but yeah, but, but but I would I would also say too those movies don't ask you to do that. The, the same way a Fast and Furious movie doesn't ask you to take it seriously. It asks you to get on the ride and enjoy mm-hmm. the ride, right? And I'm okay with that. I like the plethora of cinema. We didn't talk about it, but you know, Nolan's model has been one for you, one for me kind of thing. I, after this last bit, he may owe the studio one. So he may, <laughs> he may get assigned something. I don't know how that, that'll work with uh, somebody that's as deep in his cloud as he's got, but he may get assigned something you know, to do, or, or they may pitch him a few things and he take them up on one of them as we'll see. But <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be fun to see. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I I definitely respect that about Nolan. Um, like, and another thing I said, like this conversation will probably determine if I think Tenant is genius or shitty. Um, it I have it's not shitty. I'll say that right off the bat. Um, I don't necessarily think like genius might be too strong of a word, but I definitely really appreciate the film way more. I appreciate the. The, the the themes the the narratives like all meshing together so i definitely appreciate the film way more um 
and it's definitely one that I want to return to in a not fever dream state, like fatigue yeah. state. So yeah, I definitely <laughs> recommend this when you're not exhausted and sick. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I knew going into that, I'm like, this is probably not the best way to watch this, but I, I it was the only time I knew I was like, I have two and a half hours to watch this movie. So uh, for my rating, I'm probably going to fall. I'm looking at the ratings of IMDb, Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes. I think I'm going to fall right with the Rotten Tomato score of a seven out of 10. I think it's a very competent film. I think everyone should see it and, and, and think about it and give it at least a second viewing and just kind of have an open mind about it. It's definitely not perfect, but I think a seven out of 10 is, is an appropriate rating. I'd give, if it was on film strip, I'd give it like a medium popcorn. And I, I do recommend the film. So I think that's fair. That's totally fair. Right, cool. Well, I guess that concludes the conversation, Jay. Th- thanks again for coming on. I definitely really appreciate it. You coming on and also helping me appreciate Tenant as a film. Uh, my uh, pleasure was all mine, man. Thank you again for having me and always a blast to get on here and talk anything with you. So let, let me awesome. know. I'll always come back with you. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.